0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Why Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. I just got to say, I am so glad you've tuned in today because I feel like right now we're having a virtual hangout. You guys, it has been two weeks since the start of our quarantine and I am currently at my apartment alone. My roommate went back to Nashville. So here I am just by, me, myself and I, and I can imagine that many of you are in that same boat right now. And so it's something I just want to encourage you to do is will you just tell yourself today that you are doing the very best that you can. Right now, I think that we have some pressure to show up a specific way or to feel a specific way or to just automatically cling to hope or whatever it might be. And I just want to, you to let yourself know hey, you're doing a good job. You are doing the very best you can given the circumstances. And also, right now, I want to share something exciting with you. If you're feeling extra stuck in overwhelming feelings of grief or maybe some confusion or overwhelming anxiety or maybe a bunch of fear then i want to ask you have you ever thought about trying therapy before you guys know i am a huge fan of therapy and specifically virtual therapy which i have been doing for a year and a half now and right now virtual therapy could not be more convenient for a time like this so through faithful counseling specifically they offer a wide range of therapeutic expertise and it's really easy because you could just fill out a form online and get connected to a counselor in under 24 hours Right now you can do that and then you can start talking to someone as early as tomorrow over messaging and then even schedule phone calls or video calls whenever you want with them. It is incredible. You guys, I have been taking advantage of this even more. My therapist has been hearing from me extra during this season, but it has been absolutely a lifesaver in the season. Another bonus is for Heart of Dating listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of Faithful Counseling. So friend, even if you just want to try it out just right now and see how it goes, then I encourage you to do so because it is so helpful to talk to a trained professional during this time. So to get that discount and to try out Faithful Counseling, you can go to getfaithful.com forward slash Heart of Dating. All right, friends, so two weeks ago, I had two of my incredible friends, Angela Zadopek and Carson Blair, onto the podcast to share their story about how they waited to have sex until marriage. First of all, y'all just loved their story, which is so exciting. But moreover, we get so many questions and DMs about sex and boundaries regularly. So because of that, I really wanted to do a specific episode focusing all around having a real and healthy sex talk that would allow you to start thinking about how you define your sexual ethic and why you define it as such. So I brought on my new friend and sexologist, Dr. Celeste Holbrook. Dr. Holbrook believes that great sex fuels a great relationship. As a faith-centered sexologist, behavior change specialist, author, and speaker with a PhD in health education from Texas Women's University, her mission is to help people achieve extraordinary intimacy in their lives through planned mental and behavioral changes. She trusts that if you can create a strong, breathtaking, communicative relationship in your sex life during your most vulnerable moments, your relationship outside of the bedroom will undoubtedly follow suit. You guys can follow Celeste at DrCelesteHolbrook.com and also on Instagram at, at DrCelesteHolbrook. Now friends, get your ears ready today because honestly, we are having a very, very, very real and informative talk about sex today. This conversation is raw and it's also very helpful. So I really hope that it's both challenging and incredibly insightful for you. So without further ado, here is my conversation today with Dr. Celeste Holbrook. Dr. Celeste Holbrook, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today, girl. Thank you, Kate. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so excited too. And I've honestly been so amped for this conversation, Celeste, because you know, it's like, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We just don't have this conversation enough. But if if I had to pick one sole thing that people probably ask me or are most frustrated about, when they're dating, it's boundaries, it's sex, it's I don't know what I'm doing in this area, or what, like, where is the line? It's all these things, right? There's a lot of dialogue around this that is the pain point for people. Um, And I love, like, just even the way I found out about you, Celeste, I first heard you on my friend Kat Harris's podcast, and she's just incredible, and I heard you first talk about just sex, the purity culture, just all the things, and I was like... Gosh, this woman is incredible. And ever since then, I've been following you, like watching everything you've done. I've watched some lives that you and Kat have done. And so, I'm just super pumped that you're here, and it, <laughs> would you? I'll be a hype woman, Celeste. Yes, oh, everything, Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you share with everyone else what you what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much. That was such a great, like, ego boosting intro. <laughs> I love it. Can you like wake me up every morning? That would be yes, great. Yes, We'll uh, just
0: re-record that, and I'll I'll send it to you. Now, just kidding. Be
1: my <laughs> alarm. Oh my goodness, I would get like I would be unstoppable if that was my alarm every morning. Um, <laughs> So I am a sexologist. I have a PhD in health education with a post baccalaureate emphasis on sexuality and sexual behavior. And uh, my mission in life is to help people have better conversations about sex. It's pretty simple i mean like it's not much more than that um and and at the same time that's a lot you know talking about sex is difficult for most people for a lot of different reasons and so my work consists of talking to people one-on-one through virtual uh, client sessions and doing things like podcasts because i find that podcast is a really great way for people to get used to dialoguing about sex and they can do it while like, you know, having earbuds in and nobody else really knows. It's not like you're reading a book that says how to talk about sex on the A train, you know? Right.
0: Oh my gosh. For real. (laughs) Um,
1: So podcasts, educational things. I I partner with our local adult toy store um, to do education. Like tonight I'm doing an education, a virtual education on the clitoris, just all kinds of things. So that's kind of my work. And I find it very um, fulfilling and Um, I find that it's a need that is large. And so anybody else out there who wants to go into the field of sexual behavior, do it because we need (laughs) you.
0: It's so true. I mean, when I've been thinking about this for a while, like, I really want to have a sexologist on like, I'm like, I don't know who would also be a Christian and a sexologist. That also is unique, too, because I know that we share that faith. And but like, I just haven't found that many people. And so I'm so grateful for what you're doing in a variety of capacities. And I just want to hit the conversation off strong, girl. I think we just need to start off with really talking about what is sex? You know, because I think especially from the Christian perspective, there are a lot of teachings from the purity culture and other evangelical teachings that in ways have kind of flattened the way that I think God has designed sex and our sexual desire to be. And uh, I think it's a lot wider than what we kind of are maybe taught or think that it is. And so I'd love to kind of just start with the basics there. Like what, how do we talk about sex? What is sex really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's go there. (laughs) Let's just start Um, off with the bang, girl. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think um, that's a question that everybody needs to ask for themselves, because sex is going to look differently for every single person. And it's important to embrace that my definition of sex is going to be different than your definition of sex, even though we're two heterosexual white women, our definitions might look different. And so um, understanding that sex, number one, is far bigger than, you know, like a penis and vagina. It is a, an overarching look into how we interact with other people. Um, and that's a kind of a broad definition, but that could mean, you know, Um, Underneath sex, you have things like intimacy and belonging and love and pleasure and connection and all of these things that don't necessarily have anything to do with your genitals. Right. (laughs) starting to define what is sex and even more broadly, what is your sexual ethic is really important for all people, not just single people, not just married people, not just people in relationships. All people should wonder and get curious about what is sex for me? And what is my sexual ethic?
0: And so how do we begin to even go down that path of asking? Because I think what happens is we've been taught so many things from the church, for example, Um, this is, you know, Christian podcast, everyone has learned about sex in some capacity from the church, and uh-huh. so how do we figure out what our sexual ethic is? And I know, like you just said, it's an individual journey. But I, I mean, where? How do we start maybe reshaping that a little bit? And maybe we could talk about some of the negative ways that we've maybe thought about sex and maybe how to reshape that a bit. Yeah, it's a big
1: question. It's something that we're we are doing over and over again yeah um so the work of establishing your sexual ethic is not something you do necessarily just once everybody already has a sexual ethic based on things that we've been told or um messages that we receive from media or our parents or influences around us so you already have an idea of what your sexual ethic is but it is always good to continue to wonder and stretch that right so um that it continues to fit who you are who your relationship to christ is and who your relationship to others looks like because that evolves and should evolve as all relationships do as you mature. And so your sexual ethic should evolve as you mature. A good example of this is my sexual ethic, looked different as a 21-year-old than as a 38-year-old now because a lot of things have happened in my life. I've gotten married. I've had children. I have more knowledge. I have a greater understanding. I have deconstructed lots of parts of my faith, right? So my sexual ethic comes along with that and deconstructs and reconstructs. Most importantly, again and again. And that's okay. That's okay. I, um, Esther Perel says that we are in multiple relationships over the course of our life, often with just one person. So you renegotiate and renegotiate your relationships and your sexuality and your sexual ethic over and over again throughout life as you go through grief and ch- kids and relationships and um, loss and all these things. They affect the way that you think about sex.
0: Hmm, that's so true. That's so interesting. It's kind of also like reassessing like how, where do we stand now? And just like, it's an evolving process. I love that. And being open to that, like, hey, okay, this is coming up for me. What does this mean? Like, or why is this a problem for me? Or something I want to kind of dive into now is, You know, a lot of people I find with the purity culture specifically, there is kind of two ends of the spectrum. There is a lot of potentially sexual repression due to messaging in this culture. And again, I don't want to say that this was like the intention to do this necessarily, but I think that this has been some of the result is to send this message that like sex is bad, stay away from sex, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Don't kiss. Don't hold hands. Don't touch at all. Like don't touch anyone of the opposite gender for more than half a second. And yeah. um, in yeah. this way, it's like, don't be sexual in any capacity. Right. And yeah. and until you get married and then have wild sex on your wedding night, which just seems like, yeah. what, how are we supposed to, what, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and then I find at the other end of the pendulum, you have people who maybe have been taught this, maybe like myself, but then they they don't suppress it, potentially. They experiment, they maybe have sex. This is my story. But then they also feel incredible shame and they you know, they live under this umbrella of like really deep shame, don't know who to talk to it about, like don't know what to do. And so, and that can create a a variety of things happens there. So I I don't know, like, why is this all so problematic? (laughs) I'll just leave the floor to you because I'm sure you have lots of things and even your own experience within that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this is like, you know, we could have a whole semester class on, on, on this particular topic, but we'll kind of condense it down to a couple of things. So one of the things that happens as we learn about sex or don't learn about sex growing up is... Our society tries to put sexuality in two opposite buckets. Like we have a dialogue that is very divergent. Oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) That reminds me of that movie, Divergent. Okay. (laughs)
1: Divergent, yeah, exactly. So uh, we have way over on one side, we have purity culture, which... Um, gives us one message, which we're going to talk about in a second. And on the other side of the spectrum, we have kind of this culture of explicit sexuality where everything goes right. Where most of us thrive in the middle. Yeah. and so the work of finding your sexual ethic or understanding where you will thrive is stepping out of those buckets and refusing to be put in one of one of those buckets or both. And so, well way over here on one side we have purity culture which essentially gives us unfortunately a message and this is my story too, growing up in a culture that tells you sex is bad or sex will hurt you or you will go to hell if you have sex essentially tells our bones and our body that sex is harmful, that sex will hurt you, right? Emotionally or physically, you're going to get an STI, you're going to get pregnant, whatever.
0: So (laughs) you will get an STD and die or whatever. I'm thinking of mean girls. (laughs) girls. Yes,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it tells you this one
1: specific thing. And granted, I do believe that people got on board with this message because they thought that it was going to keep us, and I'm going to say us, especially girls, they thought that it was going to keep us safe when really it kept us controlled or or in a in a place that left us scared and left us without the right information to make healthy choices for ourselves okay so don't hear me wrong don't hear abstinence as a bad thing abstinence without education can be limiting right abstinence with education and freedom of choice can be so empowering but abstinence without freedom of choice and without education is controlling so you have over here purity culture that tells us sex is going to Hurt you, right? And so when you do engage in a sexual behavior, even if it's not penetrative sex, even just, even if it's like heavy petting or something like that, um, your body says, This is hurt. You know, you're, this, I've been told this is going to hurt me. This is going to hurt me. And starts to shut down to arousal, to um, sexual, you know, experiences. And so you maybe even experience pain or intense shame or, you know, different things that are caused by this traumatic message of sex is going to hurt you, right? Um, And so that was my experience. I grew up in a in a conservative environment, a very loving, conservative environment that told me sex was for marriage, and that um, if I did it before marriage, I was bad things were going to happen, right? So I waited, I'm a rule follower, I waited until I was married to have penetrative sex. And when I did, it was really painful, Like, really, really painful. And I thought, I waited for this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is awful. Like, I hate this. I never want to do this again. It caused resentment and anger and frustration in my first year of marriage. And it was awful. And I felt betrayed. I felt a lot of shame that I wasn't living up to the wife that I thought I was supposed to be. I felt. Like with withdraw, like withdrawing. Whenever my partner wanted to make advances or have sex, I felt like, why would you want to hurt me like that? Right? It caused a lot of problems in my marriage. Whereas if if I could have made that choice to remain an abstinent is kind of a funny word, but to to not have penetrative sex until I was married with the message that sex was good and lovely. And here's how you can help it not hurt the first time. And here's different types of simulations to your clitoris. If I have gotten that message, I really believe I would not have had so much pain and trauma in the first year of my marriage. Yeah.
0: So that's a lot. <laughs> no. Okay. And that is just bringing me to a side like tangent. I'm a woman that loves to spaghetti the conversation. So we're going to do that. But, you know, I, I'm sure what you're saying is, and thank you for sharing that, is, is so relatable to our audience because we do have a lot of people waiting to have sex till marriage. I actually have a lot of friends even personally who are, and I am now again waiting to have sex till marriage, but I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are fearful like, oh my gosh, is that, is what that, going to be my narrative like I'm waiting and then it's going to be so painful like Mm -hmm. what do you said what is there what can they people who are in that situation do I mean develop their own sexual ethic but what anything else helpful that may that could encourage somebody who feels afraid that that might be their story.
1: Absolutely absolutely so getting really clear on why you're waiting is the first thing to do like why is it exactly that you're waiting and again defining sex what is sex for you because if we think about how women have most of their orgasms through clitoral stimulation yeah um, not penetration should we be defining sex more broadly <laughs> um, like whoever defined sex way back then as penis and vagina um, was probably probably owned a penis so um, (laughs) (laughs) can we just be a little bit more broad about how we define sex and pleasure and why it is that you're choosing to wait? which again could be a really beautiful reason but be real clear about what it is and then honor your need for comprehensive sex ed learning about sex is the best thing that you can do to have better sex when you're ready for it right because learning about sex can help you give help give you words can help give you dialogue you know when i talk to teenagers a lot of times they're like when am i when do i know if i'm ready for sex and my first thing is well can you talk about sex to your partner and if the answer is no then you're probably not ready for sex. <laughs> like, um, but you can only talk about sex with your partner if you know a lot about sex, even if you're not having it or not having penetrative sex or whatever, however it is you describe sex as. So honoring your need for comprehensive sex ed is so important. Things like, I wish I would have known that being really aroused before penetration happens would have helped me have less pain. So... 13 to 20 minutes of messing around, of fingering, or maybe some oral sex, or just like kissing and doing all of this stuff to make sure my vagina tense and is ready for penetration. Also knowing that penetrative sex might not feel the best for women or people with clitorises, right? That your orgasms are probably 75% of the time going to come from external stimulation. And so if that's stuff that you're already doing, but you're waiting to have penetrative sex until you're married, know that you might be at the pinnacle of your pleasure already because that feels really good and you can get orgasms that way. So like having these really clear, honest conversations can be so helpful in removing, challenging shame, challenging the messages that you grew up with, reconstructing a sexual ethic that works for you and works for the sex that you want in the future. And one of the exercises that's really helpful for people is saying, what do I want sex to be like in the future? And if you can write down some terms like You know, just an example, pleasurable, connective, safe, intimate, exciting, right? Write down those words and then do the work now to help you reach that later.
0: I wonder (laughs) I I love I'm literally taking notes, FYI. I'm like, oh, and I need to do more (laughs) of this as well. (laughs) Do you recommend within that, um, Dr. Celeste, all these things, like just for people to educate any specific resources? Obviously, I know. They can come and talk to you, but anything that you would think would be helpful for our audience, and I can include it in the show notes a- as well.
1: Yeah, um, so it depends on kind of where you're going with your education, but I love the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It talks about women's experience of arousal and pleasure um, sexually in these new and fantastic ways. She's actually rewriting the book um, to do to update it um, oh, for wow. some more recent research that's gone on. Um, As we know, sexual research is limited and not funded very well, um, and it is being funded a lot better now. And above that, women's pleasure has not been funded very well. So we did a lot of work on figuring out how we can make pills that gave erections, but we did not get funded very well for understanding women's libido and arousal. So um, (laughs) that's another whole semester long topic, but um, <laughs> <I love laughs> um, come as you are by Emily Nagoski is a great one. If you are trying to understand your messaging, like your purity culture messaging, um Pure by Linda K. Klein, Shameless by Nadia Bowles Weber, there's a great book called Sex in the Christian Church by Tina Sellers. And it is it is traditionally meant for um therapists, but it is a good read. It's a good read for who loves Jesus and orgasms like I do. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> start to branch out and question the messages that you were given as a kid growing up. Some of those messages will stick. Some of those messages need to be lovingly released into your past.
0: And so the one thing that's coming up to in my brain right now is as people are probably listening, if they are finding themselves on the end of the spectrum that were highly influenced by purity culture and maybe are are really adhering to some of those narratives. It, they may think like, well, Kate and Celeste, like if I read these books about sex, like that's gonna put my mind in this place that I shouldn't be going to, right? And that kind of brings me to the point of like, just the overall arching amounts of shame. How do we give, like giving people permission to educate themselves without also feeling the shame from reading or understanding more about sex? Yeah. I think it's important to understand where that
1: shame is coming from. Um, Because if we talk, think about the way sex is intended or the way that I interpret sex is intended, you know, God talks about Every part of our body being not just good, but very good. And so that means your clitoris, which is an important part of your body that is only function is pleasure. Like it's only function is pleasure. Even men um, or people with penises, their penis is multifunctional, reproduction, urine, and pleasure, right? Um, but for us, for people with clitorises, our clitoris is just there for pleasure. So thinking about a renegotiating how you think about your own body and how our bodies were created as good and worthy, know that God is, in my opinion, these are obviously just my opinions, not afraid of you learning more about your body. Like God is not afraid of you exploring what he has created you to have. Yeah. You know, we don't let's talk about this. Let's talk about sensuality, right? Yes sensuality yes. is just the use of your senses. If you are privileged enough to own all of your senses, This is a beautiful way to understand how amazing your body is. So think about a toddler sitting in the grass. The toddler is tasting the grass and throwing the grass up in the air to watch it blow in the wind and smelling it and feeling it with their fingers, right? Toddlers are incredibly sensual beings. And in my opinion, sensuality, utilizing our senses is one of the ways that we can experience ultimate presence. And ultimately experience God, right? Because God is, God is, I am, he is in the moment in the present moment. And so you cannot fully sink into your senses and simultaneously worry about the future or the past. So in sensuality is where, in my opinion, you can really, really find God.
0: I love that and I I heard you actually talk about sensuality before and I was like I love this because I I find myself to be a sensual person but I didn't really like I wasn't really thinking about that I don't think before I've really been recognizing and being open because for all the listeners you guys I'm on this journey too of like what is my sexual ethic where has the shame built up for me and how am I I'm constantly now aware of this and trying to rework that for myself Hey friends, question for you. Do you have any problems with balance in your life? I've recently been incredibly inspired by John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It is so good, you guys, you need to read it. But within that book, John Mark proposes a question that I wanna ask you right now. Who are you becoming by the things you are doing? Think about it. Everything we do is a decision. How we spend our time and our money is an indication of the things we truly value. So my next question for you is this. Upon waking in the morning, what is the first thing that you do? Do you immediately go for your phone and start scrolling or emailing? Or what about at night? Do you have every intention of going to bed at a good hour, but instead find yourself on Instagram? If the first thing you do when you wake up or go to bed is look at your phone, then try this instead of checking social media. Open the Abide app and start your day or end your day in the spirit and peace of God. You guys, I have loved discovering and using the Abide app. Abide is the number one Christian meditation app, and overall, Abide users have reported less stress, lower levels of anxiety and depression, and even better sleep. Doing daily meditations has been a game changer for me as I manage the chaos that sometimes feels like my days. Abide's daily meditation is based on biblical scripture and will center you and draw you closer to God. And guess what, you guys? For a limited time, Heart of Dating listeners will get 25% off a premium subscription when you visit abide.co forward slash heart. What I also love about Abide's meditations is that they even start at two minutes long. So they're really easy to fit into your schedule and pop on in the middle of a busy workday. They feature topics like overcoming anxiety, managing stress, addiction and recovery, finding forgiveness, and so many other things. So friends, start today with 25% off a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co forward slash heart. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and so many more things. I'm so excited to be offering this to you guys because I just love to really enrich your life with things that have personally also helped me. So again, that's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash heart to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. On the topic of sensuality, people like I know a lot of people who are like I don't know like when I when I bring up the word flirting or anything, everyone's like, <gasps> what? Like I mm-hmm. touching the his arm, like you know, or vice versa. Like, how can we practice being more sensual, even in our with ourselves, and then also within dating? Yeah. So
1: <laughs> one th- one of the things I tell my clients all the time is that none of this is an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Like this is just not an emergency. My husband is an ER doctor. He like deals with real emergencies. Your sexuality is not an emergency.
0: You can go super slow. It's totally fine. Um, (laughs) everyone's like, I have to touch someone now. Okay, sorry. (laughs) It's just like exactly like you
1: yeah, there's just nothing that needs to be done like super fast. Like go slow. It's fine. Explore what it means to you to touch skin to skin, hand to hand, like what comes up for you? Is it feelings of shame? And so then question that. Is it feelings of excitement? And then think about how that would feel if you're touching all of your skin together, you know, get curious about what you are feeling and then ask one more question. Like, why am I feeling this way? Is it because I'm, you know, physically attracted to this person or I am emotionally attracted or both, or I am just ready to experience more senses of, in the terms of sexuality, you know, just continuing to ask yourself questions and know that, the exploration is how you learn. And so you can explore in a way that feels safe and healthy for you. Um, And you can also back up, like you can explore something and it's like, that is not for me in this moment. And so you back up. Um, I think that's where we get, or at least that's where I got worried or would have feelings of anxiety. um, When I was in those stages of exploring my sexuality before I was married was, oh, did I go too far? And I think that is not the right question. The right question is, what am I learning in this moment? Mm, Um, Because when we make fine lines in the sand, that's, feels a lot easier. It's black. It's white. (laughs) This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Just lay it out for me, Celeste. Tell me what I can and can't do. And that's the wrong questions to be asking yourself, right? Whereas if we step out of those buckets, right? um, And step into the middle, that's a bunch of gray area that feels uncomfortable. And so getting used to feeling uncomfortable now will help you feel miles more comfortable later in your sexuality. You are going to go through discomfort. You might as well do it in a way that feels good and feels um, slow right now versus like me, after you're married, I stepped into discomfort and it was literally painful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All at once. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. because you're trying to turn on something that like going from zero to a hundred, that never... Is good. Like it's like a shock to the system, you know? (laughs)
1: Like yes, exactly. Exactly. And I have a lot of clients that come into the practice and are, you know, newly married. They've waited to have penetrative sex till they were married, but they haven't built a foundation of sexuality to learn from and dialogue from. So they go from, like you're saying zero to 100 and wonder why they're crashing the car. (laughs) (laughs) And that it's not working very well. It's because they haven't built this foundation of sexual dialogue and foundation of understanding how my body reacts and responds to touch and all of this stuff. So literally, when I have these clients come into the practice, we go backwards and take penetration off the table again and build a foundation of you know, touch and heavy petting and touch with the clothes on and talking. And what does this feel like to you? Are you okay? Da, 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 da. So we build this whole sexual platform and then start to reintegrate penetration again. So do yourself a favor and build a sexual platform, whether it's after you're married or before you're married, whatever, that helps you get ready for the next step of sexuality, whatever that looks like.
0: I love that. You know, something that's helped me just in general as a single woman in practicing sensuality, for example, is just little things like being noticing more of my senses and what's going on in my body in in many moments, just the practice of overall being more aware of my senses and even getting into my body more. I love the book, The Body Keeps the Score, just to really understand like what is happening here in my body and just kind of understanding like what my body is signaling to me? Why am am I noticing tension? Okay, what is that? Where's that coming from? Why is that there? You know, and even just doing things like dancing. I mean, this is just my practice of like, how am I trying to figure out my body? What's going on? What is it saying to me being more aware? So in the moments of being with a man, I can kind of you, you know, first of all, be more comfortable with like skin to skin, noticing smells like no, just like those little moments and then noticing yeah. what's coming up for me when I do feel uncomfortable. Okay. Why, why is this uncomfortable right now? What, you know, and asking myself questions and being curious versus shaming myself of like, Kate, you shouldn't be thinking that Kate, you shouldn't be feeling that. You know what I mean? Because I think that if, for example, I'll just be explicit. If something is happening down in that area, right. And I'm feeling more aroused, the The first response shouldn't be like, oh, that's bad. Oh, you shouldn't exactly. be feeling that, Kate. And that's been something I've had to rewire for myself, to be honest, yes. you know? Yes. Good for you for doing that. That's hard, middle, <laughs> gray ground, wilderness work, and you're doing it, and I'm just going to like, I'm
1: just screaming from the mountaintops, like, go, Kate, because it's really hard. It it's really hard, hard, and you're leading the way for others, and I'm so... So impressed and proud of you.
0: Thank you so much. Oh, that's awesome. And and also this is it's still a conversation, right? With whoever I'm dating, like, hey, we let's talk about this. And so something that I think a lot of Christians fear is, you know, people who want to practice waiting for sex at quote unquote abstinence. How do we do that? Again, knowing that's not black and white, there's not like do this, don't do this kind of thing. But how do we do that without fully suppressing our sexuality because what the fear is right that okay I'm practicing abstinence like we like we just talked about but like in dating specifically versus before engagement all the things like how do I practice abstinence and specific boundaries but without you know feeling shame and without fully suppressing my sexual desire I know it's not black and white but can we just talk a little bit about how we do that I need some help in this area. Okay. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, it's hard. And um, shame is going to come up, especially if, you know, we have been in kind of like these more conservative, I don't even want to say conservative, but like purity culture upbringing, or given messages of purity looks like this exact thing, right? Um, So to to think that shame is going to fully go away is probably not super realistic for everybody. I still experience shame. I talk about sex every single day of my life and there's nothing that surprises me anymore. I still feel shame, right? Um, but I know how to manage it and I know where it comes from. So I think setting that groundwork for yourself is helpful. Okay. So if we're thinking about um establishing sexuality in a way that feels safe and comfortable it it's taking things really slow it's stepping outside of those buckets it is you know getting curious about your body it is understanding more about sex and how it works and what it feels like and understanding more about your interpretations of biblical sexuality like let's read song of solomon together and if that's not old, you know, crazy sexual, I don't know what is. Like I, I took Song of Solomon and I actually um, like dissected it and put it into the sexual hierarchy of needs. We won't go into that, but there are such beautiful best practices for sexual behavior in Song of Solomon that we're not taking into account. If we want to use the Bible as a best practice of sex, let's look at lovers who are having sex in a beautiful, connective, sacred, holy way, right? And I think that Song of Solomon is a great place to see that. We don't see this descriptions of belonging and love and consent and safety and physiological sex anywhere else in the Bible, in these beautiful long passages, right? Written by a poet of Solomon. We don't think Solomon wrote it, but a poet of Solomon who is considered one of the wisest people in the whole Bible. So um, maybe we should take into account that we're that like it has something to say there. So look for signs of consent in the Bible in Song of Solomon. Look for signs of belonging and love and sensuality and um dialogue and all of these things that we want in our sex life you can find them in Song of Solomon. Yeah. Um so you know if we're looking for ways in which to define our sexual ethic through biblical passages um that's a really good good way to start. And then the other thing is um I love how um, the term the Hebrew term yada is placed in the Bible, which is um, a term that means to know. And sometimes the Bible uses that in a sexual way, in a sexual description like he knew her and sometimes it uses it in just a enlightened way like I know like he works to know God in this way, right. So the word yada to know is used in the Bible. Um, a lot to describe deep connective relationship. And so if we look to our future relationships sexually, in terms of the knowing, um, we can start to understand that the knowing comes from knowing ourselves really well, like you're doing right now, Kate, like knowing how my body feels, how relationship feels, knowing how I want to do this part of sexuality. When you know yourself really well, then you can know others really well or have a relationship deep enough to consider yada. So knowing yourself really well means knowing your sexuality really well. And so that comes from exploration and things like that. One of the things that I'm really adamant about is informed consent. And we cannot give informed consent for somebody else to touch our bodies if we do not know about our own bodies. Oh, wow. Like, that's just, yeah, just like basic, right? Consent is a basic part of sex. Um, you can't give it unless you know everything about your body.
0: Mm, that's so good. Oh my gosh, I'm just soaking in everything you're saying. I'm like, yes, let me re-listen to this episode multiple times. <laughs> um, okay, I did ask the listeners to send in a few other questions, so I'm just going to throw these at you. and We're going to just quickly say for yeah. everyone listening that, again, this is not a hard – these are not like do this, don't do this. I'm just curious on your thoughts, Celeste, and people can kind of dissect it and then go <laughs> from there, right? Um, okay. But people are curious about – orgasms in dating and how they might bond us to someone. And it, it's kind of like what that does to us, like maybe scientifically or chemically, if you can speak to any of that, because I think people are like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't, I think they just want to know what that does. <laughs> mm.
1: Well, um, there's not any, any hard research on, um, on how it bonds us to each other, we do know that it is—it's uh, a—it's one of those feel-good endorphins that is released when you orgasm, and so when you're when you feel that way, you want to do it again, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that going—you know—having an orgasm with a partner is going to be any necessarily more bonding than going for a run with a partner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's going to be different for everybody, right? And we are in a very intimate place, sex or sex is something that we do typically with somebody that we want to feel connected to. um, And so it adds to that connection, but you can also have orgasms on your own. And so, you know, how do, how do we talk about that? What are we connecting to there? You're ultimately mostly connecting to yourself, feeling good experiences for yourself, but it's complicated. It's not like, you know, it's not a straightforward answer when you orgasm with somebody are going to feel closer to them. Probably. Yeah. yeah I mean, probably, <laughs> but <laughs> is it always that way? No. And so, you know, you're getting into like, there's lots of situations where you, where you may have an orgasm, but maybe the person is not feeling the same way you feel, you know? So um, it's complicated. It's complicated. It's we com- can't, you know, put a, put a line in the sand, like, should you orgasm or should you not? Um, yeah. I would say you should know about your body enough to be able to feel pleasure. Does that always have to be an orgasm? No, but it's a, it's a good thing to know about.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, <laughs> that's like the most
1: great answer. ever. No, it's like, the entirety of the world. You know
0: what? But that's okay. This is gray. Like this is the thing is like, this is gray. I'm not, we're not telling everyone go out and have orgasms. We're not saying don't have orgasms it's just like I, I think it's just understanding it's, I just want to help people have a wider understanding of what this, what sex sexuality is, what, and these conversations like do pastors stand up and talk about orgasms? Not really. So I'm just right. like, these are gray waters for Christians and we want to right. be able to talk about them and not just get our education about things like orgasms from what we see on TV or in uh, yeah. movies, you know, which is what we do or from porn, of course, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, let's, (laughs)
1: Yeah. Which is like that other bucket we didn't talk about very much, but the other bucket on the other side of the spectrum is um, messaging through media that says like, you know, orgasms are super easy and you're going to have them within three seconds of being (laughs) penetrated by a, you know, a partner with a big penis, you know, like, no, (laughs) we need to step out of that bucket too. Like there's so much bad education on that side as well. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely
0: agree. For sure. Yes. And which, which, if that is our narrative and then we do that and it doesn't happen, again, it's like, what's wrong with me? And so, and then we go back to like, oh, I can't do that. Or there's something wrong with my body or something wrong with me or there's shame or this is bad. And this is, you know, it goes into that narrative. And that's why that, the cultural narrative of sex and like instantly you're going to orgasm or whatever is very detrimental. (laughs) Yeah, exploring what that looks like for us individually another just random question a lot of christians have issues with sleepovers within dating you know because i think i think from what my understanding is oh that increases temptation yada yada do you, what do you think about that our sexologist dr celeste do you, what do you think about sleeping together before actually sleeping together that makes sense okay
1: yeah Um, obviously everybody has to choose when, you know, they're ready to take their relationship further. Um, and so that's not something I could ever choose for anybody else. I will say this. We often talk about sex drive, especially for men, like it is uncontrollable and that (laughs) is false. (laughs) Um, nobody ever died from blue balls. Um, no, like. It is a controllable thing. It is not a drive that cannot be controlled. So let's just everybody calm down. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> I want to just clap right now. Like yes. Uh. Well, you know, like there's this narrative out there in the other bucket, in kind of like this media bucket, that like you know we're just a whole bunch of mammals out there, yep, you me, it nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And I'm like, okay. Okay, cool, cool. So um, if we're mammals, um, have you ever seen a lion try to mate with a lioness when she's not in heat, but (laughs) it is ugly? (laughs) Like, so if we're mammals, then you're saying we're just going to mate once, you know, a month or whenever the cycle is like, no, we do it for pleasure and for all these other reasons and connection. And we can control it, like just like mammals can control it, animals can control it. So Let's just all take it a notch down about like, this is some uncontrollable thing that we have no, um, you know, just absolutely just haywire, right? So if we think about that, like sleepovers can happen without sex. I, you know, like I slept over with my partner a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times before we got married and had penetrative sex. I'm not saying that I'm some example, but I know that it can be done. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, right, if you want to, but at the same time, if you feel like that's not something you want to have to control, then don't do it. Don't put yourself in that situation that is really super hard and difficult, right? So I don't know. I guess that's what I have to say about that is that sex is a behavior like riding a bike you can choose when you want to do it and when you don't want to do
0: it. You know what I'm just gonna to say too what you're with what you're saying with the men uncontrollable sex drive all of that I think what's frustrating is like I'm a woman in my 30s and I find that my sexual peak is like, it, I'm very sexual at the moment. Like, I feel like, like yeah. I'm like, may, I might be, why are we not talking about the fact that women are actually have incredible exactly. drive as well? Like, exactly. it's not just for the man. Like I may not want to have a sleepover because I don't know about if I am going to be able to not cross my boundaries. Like, yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. about the guy. It could just be about knowing myself and knowing that for me, I don't know if I can do it exactly exactly and so
1: you just know that about yourself and and know that that's not something you want to put yourself at risk of and totally fine that's totally fine right yeah Yeah. and i think that that's a good um thing to bring up is that women have you know sexual desires at the same rate as men it may look different or the desires may be different as far as behaviors you want to have um, but yeah, it's absolutely there just as much as as men's for sure.
0: Yeah, I love it. Okay, so this is so amazing. I just want to, I'm like, anything else we want to talk about? Uh, I like love this conversation. Oh, uh, I love you. Uh, it's so good. Um, but I feel like we covered ba- so much ground, So less. I don't know if there's anything else that's coming up for you that you're like, well, we should have talked about this before we go into like the final nugget of dating advice, which I ask everybody. Is there anything else that you think we missed? in this conversation
1: i would just say that if i could give anybody who hasn't had had sex yet any advice from this side of the table so my side of the table is somebody who is long into her sex life and is somebody who is a talking to people every day about their sex lives, right so if you could look into the future and see what i see here's what i would tell you is that shame is the most detrimental part of dysfunctional sex lives that I see from my point of view. It is not when you had sex. It is not who you had sex with first. It is not any of those things. It is the shame about when you had sex, the shame about who you had sex with, and the shame about your own body or sexuality that I see is dysfunctional in um, or proves to be dysfunctional in future you yeah, <laughs> or yourselves, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you can learn anything from that, it is to address shame that I don't believe serves us. I don't believe it is a feeling that serves us well. I think guilt serves us. Okay. It helps us. Oh, like, um, you know, guilt is that eh, maybe I should do better next time or do differently next time. Shame is, I am a bad person to my core, um, or this is a bad thing to my core. There's a difference there for me. And so shame is the one thing that I see affects more people's sexuality than any other one aspect of their sexuality.
0: Wow, that's good. It's bringing up this quote for me, Carl Jung says that shame is a soul eating emotion. And I really it like exactly what you're saying, like of anything, it will eat away at our soul and even just all the ways we see ourselves and like give us this messaging almost in ways potentially that we're further from God because of this, because of. Insert whatever it is here you know and so and that's just not true you know and so however we can work to debunk that it will it will affect so much of how we show up in dating even how we're confident in our skin and our bodies and that brings me to like beauty ethic and what we perceive we look like so many so many elements if we don't kind of dive into the layers of what 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 is the shame where did it come from why is it here what's the truth how do I you know like sorting through that getting to and getting to a healthy sexual ethic. So I love that. Love I love that. It.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I love that too. And um I just want to say shame dissipates in the light. So what you are doing, Kate, and helping bring people um this podcast and the ability to think about and ask themselves questions and hear the words clitoris and sex and penis <laughs> and without shame gives people that access to bring their shame into the light and dissipate it. So mm. thank you for doing that.
0: Oh, thank you so much. So Les, if people want to get in touch with you to, you know, if they want to meet like you know virtually meet you or just get connected with you what do you have going on that they can do that because i want them to i'm sure a lot of people are like what is happening right now and i want them to find out more
1: <laughs> yeah you're so kind um so you can find me at drcelestholbrook.com that's D-R, celesteholbrook.com or you can find me at the same handles on instagram and facebook Um, And I always have stuff going on for people who identify as female. I have the Circle of Sensual Women. It's a private Facebook group that you can join by going to my website. There's a link there to join, um, where we just really have like hard, you know, harder conversations in a safe space. And then I have some downloads and courses and things like that, that you can, you know, look into on my website. So just head on over there.
0: Check it out. (laughs) I love it. Yay. (laughs) Celeste, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for just sharing part of your story, your wisdom, all the things you've learned. And I just want to commend you for, again, all the work you're doing to really help people in this area as well, which is so needed because this is a beautiful part that God has created that I just get excited thinking about like, oh, you know, people like you are really helping to helping people on this journey to rewrite something that God so inherently created as beautiful that we've just moved away from. So how do we deconstruct it and find healing and move towards what God really intended? And so thank you for all the work you do. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're so kind. I really appreciate you and for having me on. Thank you, Kate. Well, friends, I guess we talked about sex, baby. We talked about all of us. I don't know, I'm just ad-libbing now. But you guys, I'm sure you are feeling a lot of different things after that conversation with Dr. Celeste. And I think it's necessary sometimes for us to have a little bit of a shock to our system. My hope and my prayer is that after today, you guys will really sit down and question and think about your sexual ethic. Ask yourself, what is my sexual ethic? and why is that my sexual ethic? How did I get to the place that I am at today? What changes might I want to make? What does God say about this and how can I align with God's will for sex as well? Is there any shame that exists and how can I begin removing those layers of shame? That is my hope for you guys today. I really hope that in this time you will dive into really and truly figuring out your own sexual ethic. By the way, if you still have a lot of questions, please go connect with Dr. Celeste Holbrook over on Instagram at Dr. Celeste Holbrook. And then over on her website, DrCelesteHolbrook.com, you can even schedule a free 30-minute consultation, which I would highly recommend for you to do. All right, friends, that's it for today. I will see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.